So the reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 10, starting at verse 12. If you're using the Church Bibles, that's on page 189. So while you're just finding that, I'll just explain that uh, uh, where we pick up this account is Moses addressing the people of Israel just after the Lord has given them the Ten Commandments for the second time. So, Deuteronomy 10, from verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors, and he loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all of the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and don't be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing amongst you, giving them food and clothing. And so you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one that you praise. He is your God, who performed for you those great and awesome wonders that you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were seventy in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Martin. So we are continuing in this series in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, commentators have said that uh, what Romans, the book of Romans, is to the New Testament, Deuteronomy is to the Old. In other words, it's a demanding book. It's a challenging book. It's demanding to preach on and it's demanding for you to interact with. Um, it's a series of sermons where Moses is commenting on the Ten, Commandment, Ten Commandments. So it's a sort of a sermon based on another sermon, if you like. Um, uh, Joss, i surprised Grant didn't ask you why you've had such a good haircut. I could, you could write a song, I left my hair in Lanzarote. How is that? Yeah? Your parents must be horrified. I should think they are. <laughs> right, back to the sermon. Uh, a compassionate God. A God of love. Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 22. And as we work through this, this demanding book, we're reflecting, if you like, on the nature or on the character of God. 
What is he like? Who is he? And again, it's a bit like, and it's the illustration I've used often, it's when we think about God, we need what we could call cubical approach, cubical thinking. You need to see God from different perspectives. If we focus, for example, only on his holiness, we don't have a full picture and we may end up becoming quite legalistic. You say, well, if I'm going to be holy, I can't do this and I can't go there and I can't do that. On the other hand, if you focus only on his love, you could become a bit sentimental and easygoing. But where God's holiness and love merges, where his justice and mercy come together, then we have a bigger picture of what God is like. And Deuteronomy does that for us all the time. We looked at the uniqueness of God, the holiness of God, his faithfulness. Last Sunday we looked at his mercy. And now, just briefly, to think about his compassion, the love of God. And perhaps focusing in particular on, on that reading, if you keep your, your Bibles open, look at verse 17, for example. For the Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and gives no bribes. You can't buy, you can't bribe God, you can't influence him. He is just and he is holy. And what do you make then of this? He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien, or the foreigner, as was in Martin's translation. Perhaps today we would say the immigrant. How do we feel about that? And the children of Israel, when people from another culture, another religion, were beginning to embrace Jehovah, God is awesome and inclusive and majestic and nobody can lay exclusive claim to him but the point that Moses is saying is this yes this is what God is like but what are we like if we believe in this God and come to know this God this God of love what is our love like and that's the, the two sides of this whole series of sermons. If we have experienced his love, how do we express it? And how do we express it in very difficult situations, perhaps with our family, with our grandchildren, or perhaps at work, or, or, or with ethical issues, with injustices? How do we find the love of God kicks in at that point? And that's the whole if you like, that's the whole thrust of, of um, Deuteronomy in this series of sermons. Hymn writers would come to our help for sure. For example, uh, Isaac Watts. Uh, this love. Do, should we shut those doors? If you're on duty, that would help. Yes, I know. You know, some things preachers can compete with. Crying babies and, uh, you know, yeah, that's good. And if you need to open that door, Catherine, to the air flow through so that nobody sleeps, that would be then. thank you. If you do sleep, I know it's my fault, but we can do all that we can. Where were we? Uh, Isaac Watts. If, if, this, if this love is really as amazing as what you say, then what's the implication? Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all. We make the connection. We don't simply have a private love affair with God. It doesn't work like that. 
It needs an expression, or if you like, it needs to be externalized. How do we do that when life is unfair? And that's the sort of the, the, the central thrust of, of Deuteronomy. Do you see the sort of strident, abrasive, uncompromising language that Moses uses when he sees, and particularly perhaps at the epicenter of this love, is the home. The home. You see, if, look at, just turn back a few pages to Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. Verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Do you see it? This love, that's how I'm to respond. And make that journey into your heart, the seat of your affections, because, look at verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, not simply your minds. John is right. Theological education is mind and heart, not one or the other. And then what? Impress them, stamp them, if you like, on your children. Because if you don't, be sure that the world will get in first, Moses says. Long before television and long before the world is as it is today. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Externalize them. The evangelicals are not very good at symbols. Here are symbols. Tie them as symbols in your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and in your gates right into the marketplace. And do you know what? In the future, look at verse 20. Have a long-term view. Say to your children, look, you won't thank me now in ten years you might, but meanwhile, you just do as I say. It's not much to go on, but that's what it's like. And in the future, when your son or your daughter asks you what is the meaning and the stipulations of the law of your God, tell them, this is a great level. We were slaves. Those are, our, those are our roots. We were slaves. God saved us. And we say that to our children. I was a sinner and God forgave me. And you're a sinner and you need forgiveness. That's what we must teach. And that is the pulsating love of God in our hearts. So as God's people are about to enter Canaan, here is love's imperative as it kicks in. Love's obligation. What is this implication upon you? And the pledge of love. Uh, I was reading this, this book this week and uh, there was, there's two quotes and I'll just read them to you. One is from C.S. Lewis because what comes out here is the constant danger of pride. God must really think we are so good people, look what he's done to us. And in the reading here, Moses says, you've got to stop being stiff-necked. You, you, you can't do that. Don't be like that. God is against our pride. C.S. Lewis, this is what he says in 1960. The essential vice, the utmost evil is pride and chastity sexual impropriety, if you like, anger, greed, drunkenness, all these are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. 
pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God, anti-state of mind. And Moses is saying to them, you must not become stiff-necked. Pride is offensive to God because it takes from God that place where we cooperate with him. We look down upon people and we fail to look up to God and we miss the blessing. And he quotes a Florentine preacher. This is Tony Campalo. You'll have heard of him. He's a very um, strident preacher um, in the US. The preacher's name from Florentine was Savonarola, who on one occasion mentioned to a colleague that he'd been deeply impressed by an elderly woman who prayed fervently every day before the statue of the Virgin Mary. His colleague wasn't uh, impressed, in fact, was rather disappointed to be told that there was nothing impressive about her daily devotion at all. Why is that? Well, when she was young, she was a very beautiful woman, beautiful girl, who was the model of the statue that she was venerating. Every day since the statue has been erected, she has worshipped at its feet. She was not worshipping the Lord, much less the Virgin Mary. She was actually worshipping herself. It was a perverse form of narcissism. It's about me. It's about myself. Do you see it? The ultimate sin is pride. It is fundamentally anti-God, anti-social. And God, quite frankly, detests it. And so he says all the time, if you go through these sermons of Moses, you'll see that's the theme. We slot into it so quickly. We could embellish it with spiritual language, but at the heart of it, it's about me, pride. And here we are faced now then, in contrast to human selfishness, the love of God. The love of God. Just two things, and we'll uh, conclude. The first is this. From the reading we have here, love's imperative, verses 12 to 14. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your good, for your blessing. It is very humbling. It is very humbling in the extreme to be in covenant relationship with the love of God. Just think of what that is. Stand back on yourself for a moment. To be in covenant relationship with the love of God. You see, look at verse 15. The Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose their descendants above all the nations as it is today. And, aren't we great? No. Circumcision, the sign of the covenant. Circumcise not the flesh, but your heart. 
Look at verse 16. Circumcise your heart, therefore, and don't or stop being a stiff-necked people. Don't be stiff-necked any longer. Pride is surfacing. Again, you see that. It is a very humbling thing to be in covenant relationship with the God of love. And our response should be like the hymn writer. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all. And the initiative all the time is still with God. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, notice then, in, in, in this reading, verse 15, you, you will see that God's love is, is unconditional. It is an unconditional love. He has set his affection upon you. Not for any good in you, other than the fact that he does. And we need to, to take that as it is. It's a very humbling thing. And in verse 16 you see that God's love not only is unconditional, but it's uncompromising. It's how to deal with God. You can't say, you know what, my parents. I remember meeting a lady in the graveyard, you know, and she wanted to be sure when the extension of the church was going that we weren't building over her grave. Showed her the plants, don't see the plants, I want to meet you in the graveyard. Met her in the graveyard. Said, this is your, your family grave, this is where the building is, now I'm happy. So I said, well, what about you? You sorted out your parents, but what about you? Oh, my mother was very religious. No, but you can't get to heaven on your mother's religion. That's the point. Our forefathers, yes, God blessed them. But, but where am I? Where am I? Like as if religion is some cultural uh, thing that you pass on. This is the imperative of love. And it finds its expression in everyday relationship. This isn't for church only, by any means. Look at verse 18. Here's everyday relationship. Look at the world in which we live. It's an unfair world. It's, it's full of injustice. You, you can't square the circle. It's difficult. What, what do we have here? This is where his love kicks in. Verse 18. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. James takes that true religion is to visit the, the, the widow and the orphan and the fatherless. Now that makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. Living a busy life. Lots to do. Diaries full. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien, the stranger, the immigrant. I don't always. Then why are they coming, taking everything and giving nothing? If you have a discussion, how do you feel about that? And where does God's love kick in when it comes to that? So you see, everyday relationship is the love of God. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. It's not about laws. It's about love. Deuteronomy is the application of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul. That sort of thing. It's about love. Look at just one quick reference. It's on uh, Deuteronomy 11.22, for example. Yes, here it is. Here's the response, if you like. If you are careful to observe all these commands I am giving you to follow, what is it? How do you, how do you, what's the essence of it? How do you narrow it down out of all this, the Ten Commandments and so on? It is this, to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to hold fast to him. There you are. What a great summary of Deuteronomy. Chapter 11, verse 22. 
then you will know the blessing of God driving the nations out from among you I was trying to think how you would illustrate this uncompromising, unconditional love in, in the, the pastor's handbook there's the alternative marriage service I'll just read it to you this is what the, the groom has to say to, to, to the bride I will love you in good times and bad I will love you when it's easy and when it's not I will love you when love brings us close and when love pushes us apart sometimes it does human love is a bit like that I will love you when my love is obvious and when it's hidden by fault so please go on trusting me and then there's the response that's what it's like with God except his love is steadfast <coughs> constant enduring it's the imperative so if you like it's the inner attitude is more important than the outer ritual that's what David found and you could imagine David having to think about the alternative marriage service committing adultery being a hypocrite going to church pretending to be spiritual writing spiritual songs leading worship and he says create in me a clean heart O God renew a right spirit within me don't take your Holy Spirit from me restore to me that which I've lost through my sin the joy of your salvation and then he makes this observation you do not delight in sacrifice and I bring it's not a big deal to him he's got plenty I bring it you take no pleasure in burnt offerings I give it what good is religion if it just takes you that far and no further he what is the sacrifice that God wants? Here it is. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. It's a very humbling thing to know the love of God. It's an imperative. And lastly and quickly, love's, that's love's initiative, here's love's imperative, 15 to 22, as they merge together although the Lord set his affection you have it come back to Deuteronomy 10.15 he set his affection on Israel they were not the only people he loved sometimes evangelicals can be a bit like this you know unintentionally there are people who take great pride that they are exclusive that they are so reformed that they have everything it isn't the spirit of Jesus we are not the only people we should repent of that there should be such an openness that God loves the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him shall not perish and the church has many facets and ways of expressing itself shouldn't we celebrate that rather than criticize it or are we so insecure in our faith that we are the only people and what about the fatherless and the widow the alien or the stranger or the immigrant if we were to translate verse 18 the vulnerable the homeless you see 
Love's imperative because this is what God is like. He loves people. He loves people. And I must love people too. I hope people love me. But I need to love people whether they do or don't. Love's imperative because God commands me to love. Now that's an interesting thing. If suppose you have two people and says, I command you to love me. That, that's absurd. But what he's saying is this. If you really love me, show it. You know, perhaps the greatest in my view thing that Jesus said to his disciples just as he was leaving them. A new command I give you. Yes, Moses has commented on the Ten Commandments. We give you one more. He says, love one another as I have loved you. We could stop and comment on as I have loved you. Think of what that means. That means I'm a Christian who carries the cross. My cross isn't lumbago or arthritis. Everybody's got that at various times. My cross is unique to me because I love Jesus. It's love's imperative. I can choose not to. And nobody would know. A new command I give you. Love one as I love you. By this, here's, here's evangelism. By this will all people know that you are my disciples. So Moses is saying here, the people will look around and see your God is great and good and compassionate and they too will come to trust him. But we love, you see, not from a distance. Love you song is it from a distance, you know, at arm's length. We love close up. Close up, if you like, in your face love. Close up. An encounter. And if you have done that and you look back, you will know that there are times when you've been hurt and disappointed. But by the way, you've probably done that to other people too, so you're not perfect either. It's the point, isn't it? In your face, love. Or, as Moses is saying here, in your heart, love. You see, circumcise your heart. Don't stop at the outward. And do not be stiff-necked any longer. You said that to somebody. Look, you need to sort out your heart and stop being proud. You'd test the friendship, wouldn't you? That's what he's saying here. Or... I think it'll come yeah, in your shoes, love. I was trying to illustrate this. We did this. Is it coming up? Yes, it's in your shoes, love. I put these shoes on specially today because they slip on. And what I wanted to do, but the time wasn't gone, was to ask us all right, I'll just tell you what I was going to suggest. My P forty five is nearly in the post, so you can sort of live dangerously, see it I mean. Um, so that I would ask you to switch shoes. Selman uh, had this experience when she was at Wycliffe. In other words, um, the people you're sitting next to is saying, okay, give me your shoes. I was hoping Claire Howard, yes, she just the most gorgeous shoes, she has shoes, lovely high heels, and she loves shoes. Um, and I was going to go to her and give her my shoes and try to walk in her high heels. I mean, how, how absurd would that be? Could you imagine me walk, you know, I know it's a funny world we're living in, but you know what I mean, Mr. <coughs> Nobody can stand in your shoes. 
Nobody, but nobody, nobody. You, you, you are absolutely unique. So therefore, why don't you express that uniqueness? You, and the distinctive love of God for you. Nobody can stand in your shoes, ever. That's the imperative of love. So don't say, I can't do anything. You must. Don't sit on the fence. So this sort of love is close up, not at a distance. In your face love, in your heart love, in your shoes love. All that, uniquely you. So let's close with a question. Let's suppose you say, okay, that's the sermon, um, right? Why should I? Let's suppose you say that. Maybe you are a bit stiff-necked this morning. You say, okay, why should I? Well, if you know the love of God and say that you believe in Him, I, I don't want to presume, but let me just state that for a moment. Moses anticipates that and he answers in verse 19. And he does this lots of times. Why should he do it? And here's the answer. You are to love those who are strangers or aliens or immigrants or outcasts within your society or within your family or within your church. Why? Because you yourselves were strangers and slaves in Egypt. That's why. That's why. And we have nothing to be proud about. Ever. And the love of God is this great leveler for all of us. And we have no right to be standoffish. We have no right to be proud. If we are, I, I want to tell you, absolute authority of God's word. God is against you. He's a formidable enemy. Don't do it. You're going to get into trouble. Big trouble. Humble yourself and the Lord will draw near you. Humble yourself and his presence will cheer you. He will not walk with the proud and the scornful. You're on your own and you're going to get into trouble. Circumcise your hearts. That's why Jesus gave. It's a, it's a staggering parable, shattering parable of the Good Samaritan. And isn't it amazing that uh, Billy Graham's son should see an opportunity for global evangelism, as he called it, Samaritan's Curse, a thing that people often leave out. The Samaritans see somebody in need, yes, the, the religious people, they don't want to know, they're busy. And the Samaritan is no one, persona non grata, nothing, doesn't count. Dogs are Samaritans, according to Jews, that God used them and the Jews failed. That's the, it's, a, it's a staggering parable really. But the thing in the tale of the parable is this. He takes him to an inn and he says, look I've got these commitments, see my diaries, this, 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 this. I'm coming back here on business and here's some money and I want you to tell me how he's getting on and if I owe you more pay. See what he does. He's accountable. He makes somebody else accountable. He's involved. Make somebody else involved. That's what God's love is like. It's the love of the Samaritan. The Samaritan's purse. Money. Good servant, bad master. Because we were slaves. 
because by grace we've been saved through faith and it's not of ourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast so we conclude we express gratitude by loving others it's not a theoretical love and I put down and John may want to take me up on this nor is it a theological love it isn't a love that only deals with issues of the mind but the heart it's a theology of the heart it's a heart religion it's not about words it means openness that's the concluding word openness openness of heart to be generous we only have one life I was staying at the prayer meeting and praying for families two families one Christian who is the former treasurer here just retired at Christmas had a massive heart attack and died somebody else quite similar within six months of retiring dying it's very humbling it's challenging think of the things that we can do the opportunities to be generous <coughs> that, but it's not only openness of heart it's, it's, it's open handedness if you like what have you got in your hand as the challenge to God to Moses what, what, what's in your hand what are you doing an open mindedness if you like being unprejudiced it's very hard isn't it when our mind is, is made up sealed and settled shouldn't be God's got more light and truth to break out of his word for us surely this is the kind of love exemplified by God in giving his son here is love extravagant love generous love enriching love forgiving love amazing love this is what God is like and of course from the New Testament you could ask the question what's God what is God like take a long look at Jesus here is my son behold him look at him listen to him follow him love him believe him the kind of love exemplified by God in giving his son we're going to pray and then we'll sing our closing hymn let's pray together <coughs> try to focus on something in your life as I will in mine that needs me to make that inner journey of heart what does the Lord require of us to do justly to love mercy to walk humbly with our God Lord if we come here today stiff-necked or embittered by the unfairness of life's experience or really struggling with a sense of loss that we 
can't come to terms with. May your liberating love and grace come again. Though you've come to us many times before, come again, come today. The only difference, Lord, make us even more receptive than we have been thus far. So hear us, Lord Jesus, for surely you have promised so to do. And take your word now, hide it in our hearts, that we might rise up to love and to serve you. And so we pray in your name. Amen. May we share in the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.